Think Realty Nation. It's your host, Abby Golhar. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, we're talking all things trends, private money, where maybe you should be focusing some efforts. And I have a really cool guest who has the exact same hairstyle as I do uh, to help us dive a little deeper into the depths of strategy and where you can be making your money. Before we get started, I wanted to give a huge shout out to, to, to today's sponsor, Real Property Management. Are you working with the right property management company that can put more money into your pocket, not less? Well, Real Property Management provides a higher standard of property management to provide um, you a maximum return on your investment. Experience the real difference with realpropertymgt.com. Today's guest is Jennifer McGinnis with InvigorateFinance.com. Uh, Again, InvigorateFinance.com. Um, that's, in fact, Invigorate is one of my favorite words in the American Dictionary. I don't know why, it just feels so good to say. So, Jennifer, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, if you can give us a little background right off the bat on what you think the number one strategy real estate investors should be using today is, that'd be good. And we'll get started with that. You know, I actually think that real estate investors need to be considering diversified strategies today because I think the markets have started to shift. So I would say that, you know, where certain guys were solely in longer duration rental portfolios, it may be smart to add some short or seasonal rental portfolio hedging, you know, opportunities into those portfolios. So I think not only has the lending scape gotten multidimensional, but I think the portfolios should get multidimensional as well. Um, so I know you're on site on a client, it looks like, and I love the fact that you're on your phone. Um, one of the challenges that I always have when looking at single family rentals and long term uh, opportunities is the current market we're in. Uh, and you mentioned diversification as uh, a strategy. So what I'm hearing is if I'm a flipper, I should maybe look at long term single family or midterm rentals. Um, but then the next maybe obvious thought is everything that's happening in the market, maybe for the rest of this year in 2023, does it feel like it's 2008 all over again? I've been getting that question asked a lot. I don't think that's the case, uh, but would love to hear your thoughts and why. So I agree with you. I don't believe we're in another 2008. And there's so many market fundamentals to tell you that. Um, you know, and I think, you know, as you look at those market fundamentals, you know that you're not going to see another great recession. You know, um, while, you know, home price appreciation, for example, chilled out a bit, you know, we still saw a 4.3% increase in home prices. As an example, um, in, you know, just this past month or so in the first quarter. And, you know, while that's not the 18.5% appreciation of, you know, Q3 of 2021, that still doesn't show you that we're going to have, you know, 20% home price declines either. What, is, what are some of the KPIs that I should be tracking on the residential space, uh, whether it's mortgage rates, interest rates, et cetera, uh, that will help me become a more informed real estate investor? Well, I think, look, I think across the residential spectrum and not only single-family rental or rental, you have to, you know, pay attention to what's happening in the housing market overall. You know, obviously, you know, we've been watching, you know, a significant amount of rate increase in the market. And again, today at 2 o'clock, there'll be another Fed announcement. I think what you're starting to see is people are starting to get used to the fact that rates have actually increased. I think you have to watch and see what's going to happen with lending programs and what's going to be offered, you know, to borrowers in order to be able to add 
to their portfolios of assets. I think also, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the market dynamics and whatnot, we also want to look at who's renting versus who's buying. Is the first time home buyer, for example, very different today than it was historically? You know, where are people getting money for down payments, et cetera? So I think, you know, you, you have to, you know, watch your market, but you also have to look at who your, you know, borrower is today. And also, candidly, the borrower needs to look at who their lender is. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? Um, we are, we can no longer own America, but we can rent it. And if you agree or disagree, why? Can you say that one more time? We can no longer, what was, I missed one thing there. My apologies. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? We can no longer own America, but we can rent the American dream. So I think it depends on the market. You know, I think nobody really likes the answer. It depends. But there are absolutely certain markets that, you know, would be a smarter place to rent in versus own today. And there are absolutely markets where it makes sense to be a homeowner. I think the question is, what are you looking to achieve both personally and also in your investment portfolio? Is this probably part of the reason why you have a lot of real estate investors that are leaving the state of California and moving to the Midwest for their uh, investment strategy, namely Kansas, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan? Um, as much as I hate the state of Ohio, uh, regrettably, Ohio has great yields for single-family long-term rentals. Or maybe is, is it also because, um, uh, one, from a pricing perspective, two, maybe HPAs may, could be a little more stable and better uh, in the Midwest, the middle of the country, kind of moving more inwards. And maybe also it's uh, because the um, markets there could be a little more stable and a bit better from a tax perspective. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that has to be kept in mind is some of the better rental yielding markets, like the top five markets, let's call it in April of 23 of this year, are also expensive markets, right? So, you know, some good examples are, you know, North Miami, Florida, right? Others, Savannah, Georgia, Stewart, Florida, et cetera. So, you know, I think you, you need to look at that. And when the median price for properties are somewhere between 750 and a million dollars, I think you also have to say, okay, well, what markets as a real estate investor can I afford to invest in? You know, for example, looking at something like Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, your median property price there is in the half million dollar range or Virginia Beach, Virginia. But, you know, again, you're getting a good rental yield, right? So I think that, you know, um, the investor has to say, okay, well, what capital can I deploy versus the return on investment I'm looking to seek? Can I get into some of these hotter rental markets and still be able to partake with the capital that I have? You know, institutional investors, you know, have been in some of these markets for a very long time or can cross-dimensionally shift into them um, over time. But then you're also talking about institutional capital deployment. So as it relates to uh, the election that's coming up 2024, do you think either party uh, will have a big banner that says 
uh, hey, uh, interest rates, inflation. Well, I think inflation's now kicked down about four, four and a quarter. I read an article yesterday that said maybe it's 4.9 or 4.5 or something like this. Do you think this will be a major big banner topic for, uh, for both parties? Or do you think by then a lot of this stuff will resolve? And Americans have since they've already been uh, paying um, the low sevens uh, in interest rates, uh, in, excuse me, in mortgage rates, that it'll just be, eh, we're going to chalk it up to the price increase. And since we're already paying $8 for a Starbucks latte, uh, it's just the price of doing business and living in the United States. You know, I think there is a lot going on right now as it pertains to the possible, you know, people in the election in 2024 that's really going to glean some of the talking points that are going to happen. I mean, there's unprecedented things happening in politics right now, like the indictment of a former president, as an example. So I think, you know, first the nation's going to see how does that shake out and who our true candidates are going into the election. You know, do I believe that there'll be a banner as it pertains to interest rates? My humble opinion is no, but, you know, I, I can't predict the future. I think, you know, what the Fed does between now and then will obviously dictate some of that. But I also think that there are opportunities in the market to allow for even higher interest rates to align the interests of both investors and borrowers with certain adjustments to the types of lending products and programs. So, you know, for example, if a borrower believes that rates are going to come down, they may not be so apt today to take out a 30-year fixed rate, call it a seven-handle. But, you know, for example, they might be apt to take a floating rate loan out today, which could you know, help the market and also align their interests as rates go up or down to the interest of the investor themselves. So I think, you know, it remains to be seen. I think it's slightly too early to uh, truly make a prediction on the banner for that 24 election. No, that, that's fair. I'm uh, at this point, I should just toss my hat into the ring. Uh, Avi Golhar for president 2024. Uh, please vote for me. I think you'd be the only person that that does. And I my banner would just be hair product is free for everybody. Um, and I think it will. That's the only way I'll win the presidency. It all starts with grassroots hair product um, campaigning. Uh, so as it relates to this younger demographic, young Americans that want to buy homes, uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in the marketplace for that specific group of people? And how will that impact home ownership in 2024 and beyond? So I think there's some interesting trends happening in home ownership for first time home buyers. You know, for example, you know, where the average age was in you know, your 20s, early 30s, your average age for a first-time home buyer today is 36, right? So people are you know, buying homes for the first time later um, than they were previously. The other thing that's interesting is that, you know, 18% of the homes that were purchased as first-time home buyers were actually purchased by unmarried couples. And that's a new statistic um, that's an all-time high versus some of the things that you've seen in the market previously. Other stuff, you know, that's interesting, you know, and the data, you know, obviously has a little bit of a delay. So let's talk about, you know, 22 related data is the median credit score for a first time home buyer is generally around 768. So that's a pretty high credit borrower. But on the inverse of that, you know, at the same time period, the average down payment was only 6%. Right. So it's interesting that there's a correlation of being older, down payments under 10 percent, but high FICO. Right. So I, I think that's interesting. Um, but the other interesting fact has been that 61 percent 
of those who purchased homes in 2022, their down payment actually came from savings. So I think that that's um, also an interesting correlation um, of, of data. So there's a lot of things that are changing or adjusting versus what you've seen, you know, in the housing market generally in the last 20 years. So with these young Americans, I mean, obviously 2020 gave us a really good time to save money um, and rebuild our credit scores potentially, let's say. Uh, do you think that because of the money that was saved by this group of individuals, whether they're unmarried or not, um, during 2020, 2021, and now 2022, uh, is still contributing to the increase in demand, regardless of what the interest rates are, because they have cash and they want to go buy a home for themselves? So I think you're going to see a couple different things, right? I think that COVID allowed for what would usually be your city dweller that worked, you know, very extended hours type job roles, such as, you know, when I was growing up on a Wall Street trading desk, to leave the city, right? So you saw a lot of people that were renting high-dollar apartments, for example, move out of the city and get more space for the same price or less, right? You, the real question is going to be, do they stay renters or do they become homeowners? Just as in a generic example, you know, there are people that believe in, the, in home ownership, and I think that's a good thing. But there are also people that realistically look at the life cycle and roles and jobs and the travel that they may be doing for them and say, you know, what happens if something goes wrong in this home? Do I have that safety net away from the down payment that's necessary to buy the home to be able to make those fixes? And I think that that's an important question that would-be homeowners, you know, should be asking themselves. Now, being in the market as long as I have been, I can very candidly tell you that there are very high income wage earners that probably with their life structure should not own a home. And there are lower income wage earners that absolutely should and vice versa. So I really think that, you know, what we're seeing shifting in the market, especially with the more, you know, remote type or hybrid work environment is a shift and where people end up in the next, call it 10 years, is going to, in my opinion, lay an interesting landscape for the housing market overall. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I find it interesting on uh, Ramit Sethi's, uh, one of his latest episodes on Netflix, on the Netflix uh, special, How to Get Rich. Uh, he talks about this concept of, if I'm paying rent, that's my max. That is my max monthly outlay, whether it's $1,500, $2,500, $4,000 a month that I have to incur for my home. I don't have any landscaping. I don't have HOA. The roof breaks. I don't have to think about it. And frankly, I'm a diva. So that fits beautifully into, uh, into my lifestyle. I'm going to call somebody to fix it, and then they come over and fix it, and I can go do literally anything else. So, Jennifer, to your point, there are some executives that have zero interest in owning a home, unless that home also has a shoe closet from uh, modeled after um, uh, the shoe closet from Sex in the City, in which case then you should absolutely buy the home specifically for the shoe closet. Um, but nonetheless, let's uh, talk about Invigorate Finance, and I appreciate your thoughts. We'll wrap this up here in just about another minute or two. Uh, help me understand, obviously Invigorate Finance has, had a, has a tremendous amount of experience uh, in asset management 
management and, of course, uh, correspondent aggregation and loans. Talk to me about that and how we can get engaged with your company. Yeah, so Invigorate has two channels to it. Um, we have a correspondent aggregation channel wherein we enter into contractual relationships with lenders to originate loans to our specifications and we buy them. You know, our core products are business purpose loans, so 30-year DSCR loan bridge, fix and flip, and ground-up construction, as well as we focus on non-QM or QM-relevant products. So firstly, non-QM, both full doc and, you know, bank statement-related loans, as well as, um, you know, we're doing some second lien products, closed end second, second lien HELOC, and I hope to uh, relaunch our first lien HELOC products in short order. On the asset management side, you know, we have a vast array of joint ventures with uh, market participants to do structured financial transactions and other types of um, asset acquisitions, et cetera. We're also approved by all five rating agencies as a securitization approved third-party review due diligence firm, and also um, work on a vast array of asset management engagements, overseeing not only our own portfolio of loans, but those for third parties. And I think, you know, being, you know, more of a diversified business platform like that, it allows for us to understand more so what's happening in the market. And also as we partner with our client partners, you know, really offer them cross-dimensional advice and opportunities to transact across the board, not only on the new origination aggregation side, but overall for um, their collective books of business. And, you know, the opportunities they want to uh, focus on and grow. Got it. Uh, no, certainly appreciate your time. That makes a whole bunch of sense. Like for me as an investor, I'm always looking for the right partners. And uh, as Think Realty Nation is listening and watching and uh, absorbing, uh, consider Invigorate Finance as your partner um, in these things. As you grow, as you build your portfolio, you will need expert advice, you will need help, you'll need an understanding of what's happening in the market. And Jennifer is uh, one of my go-to sources uh, as it relates to these things. She has the crystal ball. I, I keep, you know, I keep making mention of this to significantly smarter people on this program uh, than myself. She has a crystal ball and I have a freaking snow globe. I turn mine upside down and try to figure out whether or not it's December 31st. Jennifer, stop laughing at me. Yeah, you think it's funny. I literally really, really don't think it's funny. So anyway, uh, get in touch with Jennifer at invigoratefinance.com. If you don't know, um, if you don't know her, get to know her. She's a force to be reckoned with in, the in, in this industry. Jennifer, thanks for, so much for your time. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You Have a great it. day, everybody. Absolutely. Until next time, happy investing. <laughs>